consider. Francis Ngannou has signed with the PFL. Here are three takeaways to consider. Number one, everyone who told you he was fumbling the bag is just... I mean, what the fuck were they talking about? Fumbled what? What absolute nonsense. Please don't listen to this crap anymore. People are just saying things that they want to say with no real basis in reality. It doesn't make any sense at all. Number one, this deal is only for two or three fights. He gets to have his own sponsors in the cage. There's no champion's clause. Um, a minimum salary believed to be up to a million dollars for his opponents. He can box separately from this as well. He gets a signing bonus and or a salary to serve as a PFL brand ambassador. He also gets a split of the events net profits. I mean, what the fuck are people talking about when they say he fumbled the bag just they're just inventing shit that doesn't exist at all the second thing we want to say is this is obviously a great deal for francis i mentioned everything there but on top of that he gets to be a minority owner and chairman of pfl africa which of course is going to recruit fighters out of africa by 2025 they want to have events on the continent whether in senegal or south africa nigeria they've located some other places as well this is huge for him in the capacity to give back to those other uh, interests that he has it's more than just a monetary deal it's obviously the ability to contribute in a lot of other places and we should point out that john nash of bloody elbow has reported that technically you could find ways to make the ufc contract pay more if he beat jones and then some other folks all in succession but you're not gonna find a deal that pays this much and has this much flexibility maybe in the history of mma it's absolutely historic in that way and then last but not least there are some questions to be had here about whether this is a good deal for pfl for example, Francis isn't even going to fight until 2024. I think that's a mistake, or at least could be a mistake, unless he's able to get a big boxing fight with this year. But, of course, that's very speculative as well. But the question is, can they generate enough revenue from Francis on this deal to make it all worth it? Folks, probably not. What PFL is doing is chips in the middle, right? We saw the reports a few weeks ago. They're trying to buy Bellator. Now you see this. They're trying to launch all these subsidiary PFL brands, PFL Africa, PFL Europe, you name it. They're realizing that doing just a tournament brand and then putting those shows on ESPN+, Plus, they can't survive that way. They won't make money that way. The only way to last in this business is to go into the pay-per-view side of it in general. There are some exceptions to that, but at the, at the premier end, you have to be on pay-per-view or something pretty close to it. And to do that, you have to have access to the premier kinds of talent on pay-per-view that can reasonably draw. Francis is the start of that. And, of course, paying his foes a million bucks is going to recruit some more potentially, but none of this is a guarantee. Even if everything works out well for Francis, it may not necessarily change PFL's fortunes. A lot on the line, a huge deal, a big day in MMA. Stay tuned to MK for more. All right, yeah, so we heard the news. Francis Ngannou is in the PFL, and as we heard, you know, we, we heard the clause. We we heard the whole nine yards. So my takeaway from the deal is my, my takeaway from the deal is very, very, it's, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, like I said before, you know, everyone was saying that he was asking for too much from the previous organizations. I mean, I, like I said before, I predicted this. I said he's purposely probably giving unreasonable demands because he's probably already made a deal and he knows that the smart thing would be to keep your mouth shut about it. Otherwise, you know, a company will try to like you know, undermine that. So, which is a thing that happens, you know, that, that actually happens. A good example would be Gilbert Melendez. He was thinking about going to Bellator and then Lorenzo Votito gave him a personal call and like convinced him to resign with the UFC. So yeah, that's, that's no surprise there. Um, it's a good deal. 
it's a really good deal. It, there, there's no risk. There's, you know, it's kind of like a half, it's like a low risk, high reward type deal. If it's a, if it, if the deal works out, if, you know, if everything works out, then it was a great deal. If it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out eh, it was a nice try. Um, do I think they're going to translate to pay-per-view? No, I don't think they're going to translate to pay-per-view. If they do good for them. I, the thing is this, if you're going to, the, the thing is this, and this is something that I've said many times before, when you look at when you look at platforms like one championship and Bellator, the reason why they were able to last so long and not have to go to pay-per-view is because of the demographic. They're reaching a demographic that doesn't want to pay damn near a hundred dollars for a pay-per-view. Okay. You know, and sometimes MMA can get very boring. Sometimes, you know, if you're a martial arts fan, some people just want to watch striking. Some people just want to watch grappling and some people want to watch both. But it's hard when when you have different platforms playing different things at different times. You know, it's hard to keep up with it all. So one championship filled in that gap. Bellator, you know, they filled in the gap of once again, not everybody wants to pay, like I said, pay damn near $100 for a pay-per-view. So they make their fights free. But how do they become successful with it? Well, they make it available. You know, Bellator makes their fights available on Showtime and um, Paramount and you know, Showtime and Paramount and even on the Bellator app as well. Uh, so they have multiple platforms where you can watch their fights. And then, of course, and then one championship, they also are available. You know, they they made themselves available by putting all their fights on YouTube. They would put their fights on their app. Now they have their fights on Amazon, which is really successful. And now you can watch both their fights. In, and the thing is also their fights are free. So not only are their fights free, but you could watch them on either YouTube or Amazon. Amazon Prime and you can watch them on YouTube or Amazon Prime and not have to worry about and not have to worry about any B any and you don't have to worry about any BS. That's that that's the thing. PSL on the other hand, they don't really do a good job of making themselves available for that demographic. They don't make them do a good job of making themselves available. And that's why they're not doing well. The reason why they're not doing well is because they're they're not making themselves available for fans to see. That's why there's been a lot of good PFL fights that no one has been able to catch. <laughs> you know, they're only been able to catch the highlights. And their highlights aren't even that good, you know, at least Bellator puts effort into showing you good highlights, you know, especially if it's a fight that you could only watch on a certain particular platform like they did with Fedor's last fight, right, so, and that's, and that's pretty much the gist of it, they don't do a good job, they only make themselves available on ESPN+, Plus, or unless, or if you have Hulu, you know, if you have Hulu, you could watch it on Hulu, but once again, unless you get the package, you know, or Hulu, you know, they, you can watch it on Hulu, but unless you get the ESPN package or you get one of those package deals, which let's face it, not a lot of people are going to waste their time getting because why do that? You know, it's, you know, no one's going to really buy into it. And the other thing too, is they don't let their fights become available after they've premiered. That's another reason why Bellator and one championship do well, where if you miss the fight, you could always wait. You could immediately watch it in that very next day, or you can watch it at that very next moment. If you miss the fight, you could watch it that very next day, or you could literally watch it right after it's already aired and it's available to you. PFL doesn't do that. You know, as soon as the fight's off, you, you miss it, you miss it. It's gone. You can't watch it anymore and you can't go 
back and watch it. You can only watch fights from like two, three years ago, and that's about it. And that's the problem with PFL. So what? So PFL being in the situation that they're in, you know, they have to kind of go to pay per view. They don't really have a choice, but they have to go to pay per view due to the fact that they're not as available compared to, you know, Bellator and One Championship and even Ryzen. So. The truth of the matter, they're, they're not doing well. So, so of course, this is a, you know, of course, they tried to buy out Bellator, as you heard, which <laughs> didn't work and fucking bit them in the ass. And, but the truth of the matter is, is they have to, you know, so they gotta, so they have to go the other route. They have to go to creating and selling pay-per-views. Now, could they be successful with it? Yes, they could be successful with it. Um, Francis Ngannou was a big name. He does bring a lot of eyes on the sport. He never lost the UFC belt, so that is something to take into an account. That is something that the PFL can sell. If the PFL markets a market, here's the thing. A lot of people also have to understand too is, here's the thing. If the fight is exciting. It's not gonna. The circumstances aren't gonna matter. That's also another thing people don't understand. Like, like a good example would be. What's a good example of a guy who beat low competition, but because he was successful, no one really cared. Um. Damn it. Ah, uh, fuck, fuck, fuck me. Okay, I'll actually I'll give you one. Connor, Connor McGregor, right? Connor McGregor. Okay. I'm not taking away, he did fight quality opponents, but the truth, but the thing in the matter is, he did leapfrog, he did cut some corners, he did leapfrog some people in the division, but at the end of the day, people didn't really care about that, why, because no one really cared about that, why, because the fights were, ex- were exciting, you know, at the end of the day, people got over it, why, because the fights were exciting, the fights were worth, the juice was worth the squeeze, you know, even in Connor's losses, they were exciting. So therefore people can kind of look over, you know, look at people were able to look over the bullshit because the fight was exciting. If the fight wasn't exciting, well then people would have kept complaining about how it was bullshit to have Connor fight this and this guy or that guy and whatnot. And that's kind of the case with Francis Ngannou. If he comes in and he beats his opponent and it's exciting, he knocks him out in the first round, like, or has like an exciting back and forth people then then automatically the numbers are going to come in you know the numbers the numbers are going to come in but if he has a boring fight if he has a boring performance or if something you know if the fight is very lackluster well then you're fucked you know also you're you're fucked so it really goes and depends on Engano's performance um you know, it really comes down to Engano's performance. It really comes down to will his opponent have that same put up, you know, his opponents. It, it also will come down to uh, his opponent's performance and all in all. So it's not really they're, – they're not risking a lot due to the contract being as short as it is, being like two to three fights. But it is kind of a risk because they're they're hoping that he can – get bringing those numbers, you know, so, and he could, like I said, he's a big heavyweight, was really exciting in the UFC, he's a big star, he's a big star, and he can reach demographics that guys in the UFC can't, and he's a knockout artist, if he goes in there, knocks out his opponent, and looks really good doing it, especially if he goes into boxing, apparently he's going to have a boxing match this year, if he goes into his boxing match and looks really fucking good, then definitely those numbers, it, it really comes down to the performance that Francis Ngannou shows, if he does, it'll be, you know, good for them, but all in all, if not, all in all, another thing people have to understand is, you know, Francis Ngannou being the, the head chairman of the PFL in Africa, this is a good thing. Francis Ngannou got into the UFC very late, late in the game. And 
could he have, you know, and of course, could he have had a long, lustrous career, you know, going into his 40s? Yeah, he could have. But the pe people don't understand is, is like he had two knee surgeries. He had two knee surgeries that put him out for, I think, like a year. And, you know, that put him out for a year. And then he got sidelined again. Do I think he, you know, he, he got sidelined by two in, by two knee surgeries. He had two knee surgeries that that pretty much put him out for, I think, like almost a year. And then after that, I think he had to deal with like another set of injuries at two. So but the thing is, is like when you have two knee surgeries like that, like two knee surgeries, especially if you're a big guy like Ngannou, that changes a lot. That changes you physically. That changes you mentally. So when he so when you so when he started asking for the things that he was asking for, the money, the seat at the table and things like that. It made sense because he understands that your time as an athlete is very limited, especially given his age. And he also understands, given the fact that he's had two major, that he's had two knee surgeries, you know, both around the same time, you know, that can definitely affect your longevity in the sport of MMA. So of course, it makes perfect sense why he started doing that. So this is good. I mean, he got what he wanted. Um, you know, he, he got what he wanted. He secured himself in the future. And kudos to Francis Ngannou. I mean, I think this is going to inspire a lot of fighters. And I think it's a good, it's a good, I mean, like I said, it, it's inspired. I think it's going to inspire a lot of fighters. I think it's a good, you know, you know, it's a good, oh, Oh, that's a nice motorcycle. It's a good, it's a good look. It's a good example for fighters to look to when thinking about their future, especially if they go through a major, especially if they go through a major surgery like what Francis Ngannou did. So, especially if they go through a major surgery that Francis Ngannou did. So, yeah, good, good job on Francis. Netflix finally released the official trailer for the second season of Baki, and fans of the series went crazy. It had already been over a year since the second season was made official, and until now Netflix had not released any new information. But this week, they finally gave us the trailer for Pickles Arc, and also said they will be animating the father-son fight, and it will be released in August. And well, this week Netflix will have adapted the entire manga Baki Son of Ogre. I don't know if Netflix will adapt the Masashi arc and the Sumo arc, but I think it all depends on the success of this new season of Baki. It was a big surprise that they announced the father versus son arc for the month of August, since many of us thought that this arc would be adapted in the third season, but in the end, Netflix will split season two in two parts. But the best of all is that we will have 24 episodes of Baki this year. And well, although this was very good news for fans of the series, some doubts also arose after the premiere of the season two trailer. Some fans have expressed their concerns on social media about the animation of this new season of Baki. Some say that the animation does not seem to be very good as some frames of the trailer look a bit static. Other people commented on the excess of lights that Netflix adds to the fights. These effects do not allow to clearly appreciate the exchanges of blows between the characters. These are interesting comments and I understand the concern of some people. However, it should be clarified that the animation studio in charge is the same one that animated the previous seasons of the series, so we shouldn't worry about changes in the animation. The animation studio had over a year to produce these episodes, so I believe they will deliver a decent work, and it won't be as bad as some have said. What intrigues me a bit is the animation quality for Baki vs. Yujiro. 
This fight comes after Pickles are and is considered the best fight in the entire series. So, let's hope Netflix put all the budget into this fight, which is also the longest fight in the manga. What is a fact is that the drawing will continue to be of excellent quality in this season. Something that has characterized the animated series is its beautiful and detailed drawing style that corrects some anatomy errors in the manga. Let's remember that this arc was drawn several years ago, and back then Ithagaki had a less aesthetic drawing style than now. However, the drawing of the animated series corrects several things and allows us to better appreciate some scenes. Personally, I find the drawing style of the Netflix series very cool and aesthetic, so I have no complaints about it. In conclusion, I can only tell you not to worry. Let's remember that Netflix is no longer investing a lot of money in animated projects, so we should support this new season to have a chance to get more seasons in the future. About the possible censorship in some scenes, I don't think Netflix is going to censor anything. Let's remember that in the previous seasons, the most graphic scenes were animated as they were drawn in the manga, so that shouldn't worry us. July will be the month when we will finally see the prehistoric caveman pickle fight the strongest men in the underground arena, and I'm really excited about it. Now tell me what you think about this topic. Did you like the animation of the previous season? Do you think they should improve it for Pickle's arc? Don't forget to leave me your opinion in the comment box. And well friends, thanks for watching the video. Don't forget to subscribe if you liked it. I hope you have a nice day or night. See you soon. So, it's been announced, of course. Baki returns June 26th. And then the second half of the season part two is gonna come out august all right and i mean i mean oh man it's like fucking finally man fucking finally that's all i got to say to that but that's i mean i don't think the anime style is really gonna change too much i don't really think the, 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 from what I gathered in the trailer, the anime style just seems the same anime style they've been using for these past four seasons. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be... They're not going to really... I don't see any changes that's going to affect the show whatsoever. Do I find it a little weird that they're getting right into the father-son battle? Yeah, I do find it a little weird, but... Eh, I mean... Then again, I mean, you never, but then again, but then again, I mean, due to the, due to the very long anticipation and the long buildups that they've been doing, I, I kind of see why also due to, also due to the manga and how everything's been going on in the manga. I mean, King of Shura is kind of going through the same thing too, where the manga is like so far in that it's kind of like there's no point <sighs> sorry i'm yawning i'm a little tired there there's no point in trying to extend and there there's no point in extending into the big finale there, there's no point, you know, and that's kind of the same thing with Baki, you know, Baki is like so far in when you look at the manga series, like there's no point in trying to build up the anticipation between the big father-son battle, you know, the, the, there's really no point when you see when you see how far the manga's going, so when you see how far the manga's going, so <sighs> oh my god, I'm yawning so much, but anyways, it kind of explains why Part 2 
you know, it, it explains why the part two of the series, the part two of the season that's coming in, the part two is going to be the big father-son battle. It kind of explains why, because the manga is so far, the manga is so far up ahead that, you know, it makes no sense to build up any more anticipation. And on top of that, everybody's kind of already seen the, the father-son fight, you know, you know, given the manga, and, you know, of course, you can't, given the manga, I mean, it's available online, you know, it's available online, it's available, you know, you could, you could find it on YouTube, you could find it on Reddit, you could find it on pretty, I'm pretty sure, like, anywhere online, you could practically Google it, so, it, it's not like there's anything, there, there's not like, people are anticipating anything that they already know, they're just waiting to see it in anime form. You know, that's really all it is. It's not like, like Dragon Ball Z or Naruto where, you know, the internet wasn't a big thing. So people weren't really, so unless you were, unless you were somebody, unless, unless you were really into reading manga, you weren't really, you know, the anticipation of seeing the big battle between Sasuke and Naruto was, you know, a big, like, people were like, grinding their teeth in anticipation so that's pretty much what it is here and you're seeing the same thing with Keegan Ashura like this next season of Keegan Ashura we all know is going to be the the end of the tournament therefore there's going to be no reason to extend it because why like we already know we already know so that that's pretty much the gist of, so that's pretty much what I think so far uh, that, that's pretty much what I think. Um. This week we have a new chapter of Baki Do. But before that, I bring you a big announcement. And I think this will bring a smile to many fans as Weekly Shonen Champion Magazine has officially announced the premiere date of Baki Hama Season 2. That's right, friends. The second season of Baki Hama will arrive on Netflix on July 26th. This announcement was scheduled for this Wednesday, but the magazine that publishes Baki chapters has given us a spoiler of what we will see at this event. The best part is that possibly this Wednesday Netflix will share with us a new Baki Season 2 trailer. This news has caught me by surprise, since it is something that many of us have been waiting for a long time. It has been more than a year since the announcement of the new season that will adapt the arc of the prehistoric caveman pickle, and until now, we had no information about it. And while for now we only know the date when the new season will premiere, so we'll have to wait until Wednesday for more news and possibly a new trailer. When I have more information about the series, I will share it with you. But for now, I leave you with the review of chapter 148 of Baki Do. The chapter starts right where the previous one ended. Baki had connected a punch on Nomi's chin, and that was enough to make the sumo god fall down. People couldn't see what happened. Everything happened very fast. Only Dopo, Anayama, and Katsumi could see the movements of these two fighters. Nomi had been knocked unconscious on the ground after that blow. Baki, on the other hand, began to walk out of the arena. The narrator makes Baki's victory official and confirms that it all happened in nine seconds. The audience begins to celebrate the victory of the champion. They had never seen such a quick victory in the underground arena. Baki hadn't even sweated a drop and still had the towel over his shoulders. This was really something easy for him. Nomi woke up and realized that he had been knocked out, yet he was not angry. He was shocked, but not upset. Dopo and the others were seriously analyzing the outcome of the fight. This time, they had realized how strong Baki had become. Baki returns to the arena's locker room and talks to the guy from earlier. The old man tells Baki that it was a very quick fight. Baki says it was a quick victory. 
but that doesn't detract from Nomi's effort. He was a formidable opponent. I like that Baki acknowledged Nomi's strength because, if we remember, Baki also managed to knock out Oliva Biscuit and Yujiro with that same technique. So, any other fighter could have suffered the same fate as Nomi if they received that blow. The next day, Baki and Nomi met at Mitsunari's house to talk about the fight. Baki says that his body moved on its own. His brain didn't think about anything. It was his body that reacted on instinct. Nomi praises Baki's skills and says that it was a total defeat. There are no excuses this time. On the next page, Baki says something very interesting. He says, this confrontation against Sumo has been very long, but now he has the feeling that it's finally all over. Just then, Kikaya appears and joins the conversation. Kikaya tells Baki that if he really wants to put an end to this, he'll have to join them for dinner. The Rikishi had prepared a huge feast. Baki is surprised and says that it is the size of a bathtub. Mitsuneri asks how they are going to eat all that. Kikaya tells Baki not to hold back that if he really wants to put an end to this, he'll have to join them for dinner. The Rikishi had prepared a huge feast. Baki is surprised and says that it is the size of a bathtub. Mitsuneri asks how they are going to eat all that. Kikaya tells Baki not to hold back. Baki accepts and says that after all, if he doesn't, he won't be able to put an end to this. And while this is how chapter 148 ended, and I think we can finally say goodbye to the sumo arc, I don't think Nomi and Kihaya will disappear, but it's certain that they won't be the protagonists of the next arc. I thought it was a pretty relaxed way to end this arc. Nomi accepted that he made a mistake by underestimating his opponents, and accepted his defeat with honor. Kihaya also seems to have matured after the beating he received from Dopo. It seems that losing his ears made him reflect on his life. Well, it seems that there will be a couple of weeks of hiatus for the manga. I suppose this is due to the announcements that Netflix will make. Anyway, tell me what you think about this chapter. Do you think it was the right way to end the sumo arc? Also tell me what you think about the release date of the second season of Baki Hanma. And before ending the video, I'd like to mention something for all the people who have been asking. The video of Yujiro Hanma's timeline has been restricted again by YouTube. It's a shame because... Yeah, so... God fucking damn. So, um, what do I think of the sumo arc? I think it was good. Um... I don't think it was the best arc, but I honestly, no, I, I think it was a good arc. It was a very good arc. Um, the way it ended was pretty relaxed compared, you know, the, the way it ended was pretty relaxed compared to other, between like the other chapters that have ended you know, between the other arcs that have ended, I'm sorry, not chapters, arcs, it, it was pretty relaxed compared to the other arcs, but I thought it was a good, you know, it was a good little ending, because personally, the arc that everyone wants to see is the Jack arc, you know, after, you know, Jack Hanma beat Sukun, Sukun, Sukun the way that he did, I mean, you know, when Jack beat Sukun the way that he did, I mean, it's pretty freaking, like, it's pretty obvious everyone wants to see a Jack arc, and I'm pretty sure that's the arc that everybody's anticipating, and I'm pretty sure, and that, and honestly, that's probably why the, the sumo arc ended the way that it did, because, in all fairness, everybody's anticipating a Jack arc, which I'm pretty sure we all can agree, that's the arc that everyone wants to see, um, but all, but, but all in all, I like, I like the sumo arc, um, it was a good arc, 
could it have been a little longer? Yes. And was it pretty, was it pretty, uh, was it, was it a pretty relaxed way of ending the arc, ending the arc compared to all the other Baki arcs? Yeah, true. Yeah, it was pretty relaxed, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because the truth of the matter is the anticipation that every, that is being built up, that everybody is, that, that is being built up is the Jack arc. That's what, that's what's next. You know, the anticipation that's being built up is the Jack arc. That's what is, that, that's what's next. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty obvious, you know, that the Jack arc is the next arc that everybody's focused on. So, and, and that's the arc that everybody's anticipating. So, you know, so, um, but yeah, it was a, it, it was a good arc. Um, I will say though, I don't know. A part of me feels it would have been a little better if Sukun had beaten Baki instead of Baki had beaten Sukun. But either way, like I said, the, the arc was very relaxed do I think Kaya and Sukun will be back in the next arcs and for future reference? Absolutely. It's pretty clear that they're, they're going to be, they're going to be prominent characters in the series down the line, like in the, in, in the series down the line, they're going to be common characters, you know, you, you know, they're going to be common characters that we're going to see more and more often down the line. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw them fight Jack or fight some of the other Baki characters, or maybe them and Baki have another tussle, but yeah, overall the ending was good. The arc was good, you know, you know, and now it's on to the Jack arc, Jack Hanma. It'll be a long time coming if you ask me. So, I just watched the uh, Netflix documentary, McGregor Forever, and I will say that, you know, and it's a very excellent documentary, and honestly, it's, remind, it just made me more of a fan of Conor McGregor more than ever, but um, I wanted to talk of, over a couple things that I noticed, I noticed, one of the first things that I know, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me in that documentary, and overall my thoughts and what I liked about it and well I wouldn't say what I liked about it but it was very eye-opening um you know the first thing is the first episode of course was it focused on his fight with Khabib and you know and I like how it gave us a very deep backstory between you know his beef between him and Khabib it was very obvious you know we all know the story McGregor talked some shit Artem Lobov talked some shit, Khabib, you know, him and his people ganged up on Artem Lobov, you know, Connor responded in kind, which resulted in the Dolly incident, so on and so forth, and that's where we got the fight. One of the things that really, the one of the things, you know, one of the things after that fight that, that a lot of people were saying, and a lot of people talked about was, um, was... Connor was not a hundred percent going into that fight, and this first episode actually highlighted that to a T. He was not a hundred percent, without a doubt, physically or mentally. You know, in the you know in the video, you know, um, one of the things that it was very highlighted, and one of the things that really stuck out was was definitely in. 
as I said before, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. But the thing is, is yeah, he wasn't 100% physically or mentally. And it was definitely highlighted in the footage, both in the commentary and in the footage that they were showing when he was training. I mean, you could easily see all he did was spar. He was not drilling. He wasn't practicing technique. And even his corner said that, you know, throughout that entire training camp, it was just dark and angry. And all he can't, all he did was fight. He didn't really train or, or drill techniques. He would just come in, fight, and go home. Which, of course, resulted in him... Which, of course, resulted in him, you know, getting his toe dislocated, which, you know, on his left foot, which it showed, which the footage did show he was, he was on the ground, he was grappling, and then, you know, his toe dislocated, and then, of course, they showed the footage of him getting it put back in place, which was, damn, it, I'm, ugh, the, the, the agony in his voice was enough to make you cringe, um, You know, and then of course, you know, and then, and then when you add on to the, and then when you add on to the lawsuits and, you know, when, when you add on to the, and when you add on to the lawsuits and the whatnot and things like that, you know, when you add on to the lawsuits and the whatnot on top of that, due to the Dolly incident, you could tell he just wasn't, he wasn't mentally there. He, he wasn't mentally there. Like I said, that entire that entire, you know, he, that entire time, he was angry, full of rage, and that's one of the things in that first episode that really tells you a lot, like, when he, when, that being angry, full of rage can, has a negative impact, that's why anger is a weakness, you know, being emotional is a weakness, you know, you have to control your emotions, you have to control your rage, if you don't control your rage, it'll, bite you in the ass and that's what we saw in the training footage with Connor you know all he did was come in all he did was come in spar hard rounds and and as a result he ended up getting himself hurt because he was angry he was training angry he was letting his anger control him instead of controlling his anger and because of that you know, he got his toe dislocated, and he was mentally, you could tell, he was just mentally exhausted, even on the fight, like, you could see it as, which, you know, which, furthermore, which, which makes Connor even more impressive, because the fact that, because the fact that he wasn't 100% there, and managed to last all the way up into the fourth round against Khabib, where, Justin Gagey, Dustin Poirier, guys who had training camps, guys who were 100% there, weren't even, were not even able to make it past the second round against Khabib, is furthermore all that more impressive. Like, it, it's all that more, it, it just makes Connor that much more impressive and just shows you how good Connor is. Despite whatever you, whether you, whether you love him or hate him, you can't deny that guy's a tough son of a bitch, and he's a, he's a lot better than people give him credit for. The fact that he managed to last all the way up into the fourth round with Khabib, despite not being 100% there, both physically and mentally, whereas Justin Gagey and Dustin Poirier, guys who were 100% there, couldn't get past the second round, just goes to show you how tough and how good Connor is. That That's one thing that first episode highlighted. Um, that was the first thing that really stood out to me the second thing 
that really stood out to me was, goddamn, this guy went through some trials and tribulations. I mean, you want to talk about experiencing the highs and highs and lows and lows from experiencing a tough, a devastating loss to Khabib to immediately, you know, experiencing a hand injury that put him out for 10 to 12 weeks. I mean, he, he already had a fight booked. You know, they, it showed in the, in the documentary that he had a fight booked and was training for it, and he ended up breaking his hand. He uh, No, yeah, he ended up breaking his hand and had to get surgery, which put him out for pretty much 8 to 10, 8 to 12 weeks. And then, you know, then going to 2020, where he wanted to stay active, he wanted to fight multiple times in a year, but of course the UFC was just dicking him around, which that was evident, you know, you didn't need, you don't need to see the documentary to know that the UFC, you don't need to see the documentary to know that, I mean, it was clear that the UFC was dicking him around and keeping him on the shelf, and, um, of course, you know, going through a situation like that all the way up into the leg break where his, his leg got messed up, it was, you know, that, that, you gotta, to, to, to be in the situation that Connor Connor has been in for these past couple years, and to still have that motivation and still have that that drive to train and still compete is, I mean, that you can't say this guy doesn't have the fire anymore. Like everyone keeps saying that he doesn't have the fire anymore. That is far few. That is further from the truth. He, without a doubt, has the fire. I mean, most guys would have given up after experiencing a devastating loss and experiencing a tough injury on top of that after that devastating loss but the fact that despite all these obstacles he still was motivated to train he's still motivated to compete just motivated to train you know that that right there in itself just tells you right there that he's still motivated to compete the fact that even despite all that he was still training he was still finding ways to train he was still finding ways to improve and keep himself in shape tells you that this guy still has the drive and and probably has an even bigger drive more than ever more than ever yeah um the second thing which leads me into the third thing is this guy is training at all times doesn't matter if if he doesn't matter if it's physical technical he is training at all times and that is something that and and that just goes to show you that connor is he is he's not a fighter he is definitely what you would call a martial artist because most guys most guys only train when they have a fight but but the best of the best are training all the time. They're always learning, always improving, even when they don't have a fight, even when they're not competing. You know, that's what, that's what, you know, that's why guys like GSP, you know, John Jones, Demetrius Johnson, Anderson Silva, that's why these guys are always, are able to stay at top and be, stay at the top and be consistent for a long time is because even when they're not competing, they're still training and Connor is still training like even despite all of that like despite the injuries despite the obstacles he still 
was training religiously at all times, all the time, and he never stopped. And even now, like even after the leg break, which was at the very end of the at the last episode, he was still training. Like he was still finding a way to train. Like and he even said, and that's one thing that stuck out to me. If there's a will, there's a way. You know, I remember him saying this at the end of the documentary, and that is true. You know, that's one of the major lessons from this documentary is if there's a will, there's a way. You know, just because you're injured, just because you're down for the count doesn't mean you still can't do something. You could always do something, you know, whether it's watching tape, reading books, meditating, stretching, lifting, running, working on your technique, getting better at your kicks, your punches, whatever. There's there's always there's always something you can do. Um, The fourth thing that, you know, really stuck out to me, too, is, you know, You know, um, the second thing, the third, the, you know, the fourth thing that really stuck out to me was, you know, a lot of people gave him shit for his reaction toward, you know, Khabib retiring. Um, people were calling him, he's a piece of shit for being upset and telling, you know, telling Khabib to fuck off for retiring. But people have to understand Connor really wanted to avenge that loss. Like people don't understand like that was a big fight for Connor and that's a loss that I can tell you like even now still eats at him. You know, and it still eats at him. And you know cuz in the reality he could have won that fight. You know, he he could have won that fight. He could have he he could have won that fight. You know, a lot of people saying that Khabib took his soul they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. He did not take his soul because if he really took, because if Khabib managed to take Connor's soul, Connor would not have the attitude that he had toward Khabib retiring. He would have just been, he would have did the typical, you know, have a nice life. I'm proud of you. He would have did all the typical shit that most fighters would say, you know, giving their props and, you know, and waving them off as they ride off into the sunset. Connor didn't do that. Connor was like, fuck you. You know, he can go fuck himself. Who cares? Like, he, fuck you. He can go fuck himself because he really wanted to get that back. And and that's not said by a guy who's a douchebag. That's said by a guy who wants to fight the very best and a guy who wants to fight a guy who Avenger lost that was a very, a very, Avenger lost that was very tough on him. That was very tough on him despite the risks, despite the risks, despite the possibility of him getting mauled again, still wanting to get back at it again, so, yeah, so, no, um, him pretty much, him pretty much telling, saying Khabib can go fuck himself for, pretty much him saying Khabib can go fuck himself for retiring is not him being a douchebag, it's just him being upset because, that's a loss that he really wanted to get back, that he really wants to get back, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be, I mean, it would, it would, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Khabib pulled some stunt where he, where he just unretired after, after Connor retires, you know, who knows, I mean, it, it would, but yeah, um, and fifth and foremost, I mean, I mean, and and I would say 
the fifth and foremost, I mean, and, and I would say the, the fifth and foremost, I mean, one of the things, I mean, the Dustin Poirier fight, I mean, the fifth and foremost is that guy steps up every single time. Like, I don't care. You Like I said, Connor talks the talk. But he makes that goddamn walk every fucking time. Short notice, long notice, injury, healthy as a horse. He makes that walk every goddamn time. I mean, and that, you know, and it was definitely evident in the fourth and final episode of the docuseries. You know, he was injured. His leg was injured. You know, you know, you see it in the footage, he was having trouble kicking with it, he had doctors looking at it, he was, you know, doing various therapies to keep it healthy, and despite his corner having reservations about him fighting, and even suggesting that he possibly, you know, push back the date, Connor completely ignored him, and still trucked on, and showed up that night to fight Dustin Poirier, and despite the result being what it is, and like I said, whether you agree with him pursuing the fight, despite being injured or not, the fact of the matter is, you cannot say that that guy ducks and dodges anybody, that guy, that guy talks the talk, and he walks the walk every fucking time, he makes that walk every goddamn time, no matter what it is, no matter what the circumstances is, Khabib could talk all the shit he wants, but Connor stepped up, and Connor still fought, and did a lot better than his previous, than, than his previous opponents, so that in itself says a lot. You know, and that's one of the main things is Cotter doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk every damn time. Oh, and last but not least, um, it is beneficial as announced by Dana White, UFC 291. It's going down July 29th. Dustin Poirier, Justin Gagey 2. For the BMF belt, co-main, co-headliner, the co-main event, Jan Blakovich versus Alex Pereira. And then on the undercard, we got Costa versus Alex Groff, Ferguson versus Green, Chiesa versus Holland, Wonderboy versus Pereira, and Lewis versus DeLima. Let's start with this. Lewis versus DeLima, I mean... It's going to be a Derek Lewis fight. Derek Lewis is going to swing for the fences. We all know how that's going to go. And it's going to be fucking awesome. Wonder Boy versus Piera. I mean, dude, Wonder Boy. The fact that Wonder Boy is still able to compete at a top level and still, you know, hold his own, it, it's, it's, baff, it's, it's baffling. It's absolutely fucking baffling. And honestly... That you know, that's gonna be a foot fight in itself. Kiesa versus Holland, that's gonna be a wild fight, especially because Kiesa is a very great grappler, has shown that you know his fight 170 is his weight class, way better, puts on has been putting on way better performances at 170 than he did at 155. And Holland's been on a good tear, you know, he had he has had two losses, um, 
against tough competition, you know, Chemayev and, of course, Wonderboy. And, but he came back with a fire in his last fight where he knocked his opponent out pretty, pretty soundly. And so, yeah, that, that fight's going to be the, the wild, wild west, literally. Ferguson versus Green, I mean, I mean, it, this is going to be a very dangerous fight for Ferguson. This might be the send-off because the truth of the matter is Ferguson is not, he hasn't been the same since that Justin Gagey fight and putting him against somebody like Bobby Green is pretty much you're you're pretty much you're you're pretty much saying you're gonna this is pretty much saying this is you're pretty much saying that this is the nail in the coffin, but you never know. Tony could easily turn the tables. You but like I said, you you never know. But definitely that is gonna be a fun fight. Costa versus Ask Alice Karoff. Once again, another fun fight. Both guys unranked coming up. You know they're going all out. Blakovich versus Pierre. This fight is, oh, dude. A lot of people are under the impression that Blakovich, a lot of people are under the preemption that because it's light heavyweight and guys can take, you know, prayer to the ground, they think that that's going to make a difference. But people don't understand Pereira has first of all Pereira has experience fighting in light heavyweight for one and on top of that Pereira he's actually a lot heavier than a 205er and he hits really hard okay his power transcends to light heavyweight and it was obvious if you ever follow his kickboxing career his power does translate to the heavier weight classes you know that was evident in his kickboxing career when he moved up and fought at light heavyweight and I think especially now because he doesn't have to do with the weight cut his ability to defend takedowns and deal with the grappling is going to be far better because now he doesn't have to worry about fatiguing you know because the weight cut really did affect the, the weight cut really did affect his his performance you know it was evident that you know, it really did affect his performance, especially if he got taken down to the ground, especially once he get taken down on the ground. Once he got taken down on the ground, all his energy was sapped, and it was, you know, it, all his energy was sapped, and he would spend the majority of the time trying to recover and survive and get that second wind. So, if he, I mean, but either way, Blokovich is somebody you cannot count out for a second, and he's a guy that can easily turn the tide and and shut any momentum down whatsoever so this is definitely going to be a really really good fight i mean and then of course dustin poirier versus justin gagey to you know just the rematch for the bmf title now that jorge masvidal is retired i mean like i said i like the bmf belt i think it's awesome it's a great creation and I love this fight. Now, there are some people that are saying that, you know, this fight is far better than Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal for the BMF belt. But the only reason they're saying that is because of the end result. If you watch that fight as a whole, that fight was awesome. And the buildup was awesome. But the end result, of course, killed all the momentum killed all the momentum now hopefully this doesn't happen with Poirier and Gagey you know hopefully MMA gods don't screw us on that but 
I'm glad that it's for the BMF belt. I like the BMF belt. And honestly, this is a fight where I think Gagey can win. If Gagey fights the fight that he fought in his last fight, he can definitely, you know, calm, composed, picks his shots, goes to the body. I think he beats Poirier. But Poirier, man, he he showed in his last fight against Chandler that – he, he hasn't slowed down or missed a step at all. Like, he's still just as deadly, if not just as de- if not more deadly. So, it'll definitely be it, it, this fight and it's five rounds, like their first fight. Both guys, I think, are going to be more controlled. Are going to be more controlled. And, and I think because they're more controlled, they're going to be just as dangerous. Yeah, um, hopefully there are no injuries or nothing that destroys this card because let's see what does this person say the only thing funnier than beating Adesanya would be beating the only other guy that ever beat him this is hilarious matchmaking right that would be funny like imagine if Jan Blakovich beats Alex Pereira he can say that he has victories over both Israeli Adesanya and Alex Pereira both two guys who have fought each other four times both guys were champions. Both guys won the belt off of each other. For Jan to say he has victories over both of them would be a big feather in his cap. And if you know, and if Alex Pereira were to beat Jan Blakovich and if, and not only that, knock him out, that would that would just that would that'd be a great way to stick it to Adesanya. Like, oh, I beat the only other guy to ever beat you. So definitely. The matchmaking is hilarious, but it's fun, and I love it. Um, another thing that got announced, Aljermaine Sterling versus Sugar Sean O'Malley, August 19th, UFC 292. Um, reality is, this is just like the Cejudo fight. One fighter looks really good. The other fighter's going to look really bad. The Stylistically, they both match up well with each other. Personally, I think Aljo's going to wreck him because, as I've said before, if Peter Yawn can take Aljamain Sterling, if Peter Yawn can take Sugar Sean O'Malley down at will, control him, and pretty much beat him in the grappling department to the point, to the point where Sugar Sean had to cheat, to had to cheat, you know, to, to get, you know, to had to cheat in order to survive the grappling exchanges. And you could look this up too. There's actual footage of this. You can like go on YouTube and look up the footage, you know, you know, or hell, if you watch the fight, it was pretty obvious, you know, you know, Sean was grabbing his gloves. He was grabbing the fence. You know, he had to literally cheat in order to survive the grappling exchanges. What makes you think Aljamain Sterling isn't going to do the same thing if not better, if not more worse, sorry, what makes you think he's not going to do the same thing, if not more worse, you know, that that's the thing, you know, because people forget, you know, that was not a good performance for Sugar Sean. Like, I know everybody likes to ride Sugar Sean's nutsacks and say that, oh, he won that fight and blah, blah, blah. First of all, he didn't win that fight. Second, regardless of the result, he did not look good. He got beat down, okay? He got bullied. I mean, 
Peter Yuan practically walked him down and bullied him for three rounds. And the only thing Sean was able to do was land a big right hand in the knee, which hardly, which barely phased Peter Yawn. And the fact that Peter Yawn was able to take him down at will and control him on the ground, I mean, the way that he did to the point where Sean had to cheat to win, had he had to cheat in order to survive the grappling exchanges. I mean... What makes you think Aljo isn't going to do the same thing with him being a grappler? Peter Yon's a striker, and he took Sugar Sean down at will. Okay, took him took him down and controlled him at will. You know what makes you think Aljo's not going to be able to do the same thing? But I mean, who knows? I mean, like I said, this is one of those situations, like the Suhudo fight. Styles make fights. This is a good fight for Sean to look like a. This is a good fight for Sean to look amazing, and this is a great fight. This is another fight for Aljo to look amazing as well, due to the style. So, you know, due due to the style, due to the style. So, but definitely, it's fight is definitely a fight to watch. I was working at this talent agency in Hollywood and I got invited to this big important meeting and they were talking about stuff and I, I interjected and I said something. And my mentor took me aside after and he said, why did you say that? Did you think it actually needed to be said or did you just feel like you wanted to have something to say? And I think about that all the time. It's in the 48 Laws of Power. Always say less than necessary. There's an exchange between a Spartan who's sitting at this dinner and he doesn't say anything. And finally another Spartan says like, what are you stupid? You're not saying anything. And he says, a stupid person wouldn't be able to be quiet. It would have been better had I sat there and listened, had I kept my thoughts to myself, not embarrassed myself. And so saying less than necessary, not interjecting at every chance we get, this is actually the mark, not just of a very self-disciplined person, but also a very smart and wise person. I was maybe 20 years old. When you're talking about fighting as it is. Oh. With no real fighting. Well then, baby, you better train every part of your body. And when you do punch, now I'm leaning forward a little bit, yeah. hoping not to hurt any camera angle. Yeah. I mean, you got to put the whole hip into it and snap it and get all your energy in there and make this into a weapon. You're talking about fighting as it is. Got y'all with another one. So we have some very, very alarming news when it comes to this highly anticipated undisputed lightweight showdown between undefeated, undisputed lightweight world champion superstar boxer Devin the Dream Haney, who has 29 wins, no losses, no draws, 15 wins by way of knockout, 24 years of age, five foot nine with a 72 inch arm reach, as he's going to take on. Two-time Olympic gold medalist, three-division world champion, former unified lightweight world champion, Ukrainian superstar boxer Vasily Hightech Lomachenko, who is 17 wins, two losses, no draw, 11 wins by way of knockout, 35 years of age, 5'6 with a 66-inch armage. With that said, Devin Haney, Lomachenko going to face off this Saturday, May 20th, Las Vegas, Nevada, MGM Grand Garden Arena. But the reports are now that Devin Haney and Lomachenko are going to have these two judges, Dave Moretti 
and Steve Wiseville as two of the judges that's going to represent this fight. They're going to judge this fight. Why is this important? Because they were two of the judges for April 22nd, Las Vegas, Nevada, T-Mobile Arena, mega showdown between undefeated three-division world champion who is now 29 wins, no losses, no draw, 27 big wins by way of knockout. He is 28 years of age. That is Javante Tank Davis, superstar boxer, who took on lightweight junior welterweight Mexican superstar boxer, title contender, King Ryan, Ryan Garcia, who is now 23 wins, one loss, no draws, uh, one loss, uh, no draws, and 19 wins by way of knockout, 5'10 with a 70-inch armage at 24 years of age. But the first knockdown, as you saw, in this fight took place in the second round. But somehow, Steve Wiseville and Dave Moretti didn't score the knockdown that was clearly a knockdown. They didn't score it. One scored a 10-10 round, the other scored it a 10-9 round, and the other one scored it a 10-9 round. So they did not count the knockdown at all, as if Javante Tank Davis clearly didn't brutally knock down Ryan Garcia in the second round. It was clear that they had an agenda. And now it looks like they're going to be the referees for this fight. That's a massive fight. That, let's be real, everybody wants to see Lomachenko become the undisputed pound-for-pound king because he's on a pound-for-pound list with two losses ahead of this man, Devin Haney, who is the undefeated, undisputed world champion. Lomachenko's on the pound-for-pound list. So many people, it's safe to say that many people, the powers that be, want to see Vasil Lomachenko be victorious. The Ring magazine have him top 10 pound for pound and they don't have Devin Haney top 10 pound for pound and he holds the ring magazine title. Devin Haney is a technician and he's not known for his power. And so if this fight goes the distance and this fight is anywhere close, we know who the victory is going to go to because Steve Wyfield and Dave Moretti, they make up their mind as to who's going to win the fight before the fight even starts. So it's safe to say that if this fight is remotely close, we know what direction they're going to lean in, just like they did with Javante Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. There's no way Javante Tank Davis could absolutely blast Ryan Garcia, drop him with a beautiful left hook, and none of the judges count it. They don't acknowledge it and act like Ryan Garcia was so dominant in the round that the knockdown didn't even count. One scored the round a, a draw. The other scored the rounds 10-9 in favor of Tank, like it didn't even happen. So if Devin Haney don't get a knockdown and a knockout, it's safe to say Dave Moretti and Steve Wasfield, they're going to lean towards Vasil Lomachenko. We had some egregious scoring just last week with Rolando Roli Romero Taking, uh, taking on Ishmael Barrasso. We saw the scoring, well, not the scoring, but we saw a terrible stoppage by well-renowned Hall of Fame referee Tony Weeks, who decided that the first sign of adversity, Ishmael Barrasso, who was clearly chosen as the D side, he wasn't even a B side, he was the D side, 
was winning the fight and shocking the world that they wanted Roly Romero to win the fight. Well, guess what? He drops Roly in the third round. He's outboxing Roly Romero. This is shocking. They list him at 40 years of age, but uh, apparently he even has a son that's 30, so I don't know how he's 40 years of age. But he's winning the fight. So in the eighth round, Roly drops him. That wasn't even an official knockdown, but Tony Weeks decided that it is, and they didn't decide to review it. And then in the ninth round, Roly lands one big hit, clean punch, and they decide that this fight should be called to a halt. Tony Weeks jumps in and says that he's taking too much punishment. Although the rest of the punches that Roly was throwing, he was slipping, bobbing, and weaving, and countering. He clearly was, his wits was still there. He still was very alert, and he still was active. But Tony Weeks decided that he saw enough. Isn't that amazing? So this just took place where? Here in Las Vegas. And so now you have a fighter like Vasil Hightech Lomachenko, who clearly the powers that be want to see him get his opportunity to be undisputed. He got an opportunity to fight for a world title, his first three fights as a professional. And when he was one and one, he still got the chance to fight for the vacant WBC title. He fought for a title eliminator, his first fight as a professional. Then he fought for a world title, his second fight against Orlando Salido, and he lost. Then his third fight, coming off of a loss, he got another opportunity to fight for a title against Mr. Gary Russell Jr., which he got knocked down in that fight. It didn't get it didn't get called a knockdown, didn't get ruled a knockdown, and he won him a split decision victory over Gary Russell Jr. Now, had he that knockdown counted, Gary Russell Jr. would have won the fight. But they didn't call it a knockdown. They didn't rule it a knockdown. So he beats Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Then he goes on like a four-fight winning streak where he gets all of these uh, stoppage victories where his opponents just seen enough and had enough and they decide, well, they can't continue. And so they decide that, you know, they're going to retire on their stool in the corner and he becomes Nomaschenko. And everybody says, well, we want to see Lomachenko become undisputed. So he was well on his way until he ran into, after the loss of Salido, he didn't arrange it. Then he ran into Teofimo Lopez. Former unified lightweight world champion, superstar boxer, who is now the junior welterweight title contender going into a big fight June 10th against the undisputed British superstar, undefeated junior welterweight world champion, and Josh Taylor, June 10th, Madison Square Garden, New York, New York. But before that, Okay, guys. Hi. So I'm going to unbox <laughs> the Dyson Airwrap. Whenever I shop with Google, I know I can see a ton of user reviews to tell me exactly what I need to know about a product. This actually makes curling both sides of your hair so easy. Oh, my God. That looks so good. I have actually been a customer of BetterHelp for a little over two years now. And I was able to get matched up with a therapist in like 24 hours, 48 hours. They ask you questions. Tia Fimo Lopez was... 15 wins, no loss and no draw, right? 13 wins by way of knockout. Teofimo Lopez was 23 years of age and one title fight where he fought Richard Comey and knocked Richard Comey out for the IBF title. He was considered green. Everybody just knew that Vasil Lomachenko was going to beat Teofimo Lopez, and he did anything but beat him. Teofimo Lopez dominated the first seven rounds of the fight. Lomachenko didn't throw double-digit punches till the eighth round. Now, he clearly won the eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh round as Teofimo Lopez decided that he wanted to fight in a shoulder roll. 
change his style from the first seven rounds where he was aggressive. And Lomachenko came on strong. Looked like he was even going to stop Teofimo Lopez in the 10th round. But then in that 12th round, Teofimo Lopez made the adjustment, went back to what he did in the first half of the fight, put tons of pressure on Lomachenko, looked like he was going to stop Lomachenko. And he won the fight. And he shocked the world. That was Lomachenko's opportunity to become undisputed. As you remember, he was then labeled the franchise champion, so he didn't have to fight his mandatory and Devin Haney. So they was looking for him to become undisputed at that point in time, but he failed. Then he goes on from there, and he beats Nakatani, and he beats Richard Comey, and then once again, he's top 10 pound for pound. That garners him to be in the top 10 pound for pound. Then he struggles against Jermaine Ortiz in his last fight before this Devin Haney fight, and they still give him a unanimous decision victory where he clearly struggled, and some people even thought that Jermaine Ortiz should have gotten a nod and shouldn't have been should have been awarded the champion. I mean, should have been awarded the victor. But we know they wanted to give him an opportunity to fight Devin Haney, who was ringside. And Devin Haney gets to the ring, and the first thing Lomachenko says, he's a heavyweight. Look how big he is. He's not a lightweight. So we know, we understand what direction they want this to go in. So how is Dave Moretti and Steve Wildsville the judges for this fight? You can answer that question. But let me know what y'all think. Drop a comment in the comment section. Y'all already know what it is. It's your boy, Blue. Blue Blood Sports TV. Hate, like, comment, and subscribe. You haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. Hit. Yep, and that's pretty much it. I mean, if this fight goes to decision, you know who they're going to give it to. So you know David Haney's got to either knock him out or dominate so to a point where there's no doubt and um yeah all in all but yeah uh bmf podcast baddest motherfuckers in the game podcast find me on instagram bmf podcast b.m.f um i'm right now currently you know i'm you know if you want to be on the podcast message me hit me up you can message me on spotify apple or instagram Message me on one of those three or, you know, if you want to be on the podcast or, you know, you know, if you want to be on the podcast, whether, you know, if you want to talk about like philosophy or, you know, just talk about your gym or, you know, talk about your gym or, you know, want to just have a conversation. And, you know, like I said, this podcast comes to you. So if you live in another state, you best believe I'll meet you there. And, you know, if you want to come to me, if you if you're in the current state that I'm in, well, without a doubt, I will meet you there as well. But, uh, yep, this is how this is how I run it. You know, I'm not one of those podcasts that expects everybody to come to them. If you if you can't make it to me, I'll make it to you. So there you go. Yep, so there it is.